This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you ready? They think you can tell us what to do. You think you can tell us what to wear. You think that you're better. Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Degen Nation fam, what is up? What is happening? We took a week off last week, week 17, and that was only to gear up for what is wildcard weekend coming at you. The regular season is done. We are here at the playoffs, baby. Woo! We're excited. It's your host, Ryan Alexander underscore W is where you can find me on Twitter, Ryan Williams, and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Kevin Steele at FantasyRat13. And Kevin, it's like the Thanksgiving slate all over again, man. We got four games Split up against two days, wildcard weekend, the playoffs are here. Let's get this money. How you feeling? Feeling good. You know, it's a new year, new me, right? 2020. So uh, it's <laughs> That's time, right. uh, it's time to make it happen. Uh, this is one of our favorite times of the year anyway uh, with, with DFS. And uh, I think people who do the most research and, and put in some time to really uh, take a look at this, which is much easier now. You only have... Um, the four games to go with. It's not an entire, you know, 10, 12, 13 game slate or anything crazy like that. So um, just putting in a little extra work and kind of paying attention to some of the things um, and being a little contrarian. This is, I don't think you need to uh, super off the wall here, but a couple picks here and there. And then, uh, you know, uh, you can take the whole thing down. So it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite times with these next two slates, this and the divisional round uh, are always a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's definitely going to be, it's going to be lit. I mean, this is this is where, you know, all the hard work starts to pay off, as you're saying, Kevin, the regular season. Uh, we start seeing, you know, these are the the most um, – what's the word I'm looking for here? Like the teams, what we know or what we think we know is going to happen is, is really going to come to fruition. You know, teams that we've been targeting against all year – that comes to fruition here in the playoffs. And if you've been paying attention and if you've been with the DGen Nation pod all season long and you've been doing your own research, then you kind of really have an edge on the field for people who, you know, at the beginning of the year, we talked about people are excited to get in and, you know, daily fantasy's back for football and it's exciting to play weeks one, two, and three. And then people start losing money. They kind of teeter off and they go back to their, you know, regular, regularly scheduled fantasy season long teams. And now that season long is done, 
uh, and playoffs are here. People are looking at their futures bets. People are getting excited for the Super Bowl in four weeks, and the, we might get some more casual players hopping back into DFS action. So that's where we come in, and we're going to try and break down this four-gamer slate over the two days, um, both the AFC games and both the NFC games, and just see what we're looking at, see what we found in our research. And uh, and we hope you guys appreciate that. It's episode 74 of the DGen Nation podcast. We are doing Wild Card Weekend. We're breaking it down right now. And Kev, we got a uh, – I don't think this usually happens this way. I found it weird that both the AFC games uh, were on Saturday and then both the NFC games were on Sunday. Maybe that is how it usually happens, but – um, it's, it seemed really, uh, okay. You're not shaking your head. No. So yeah, it seemed kind of out of the ordinary, but kind of cool. Uh, because you know, the NFC games are a little bit more exciting, uh, to me from a fantasy standpoint. Um, but we got, we got one game to start that is going in. Of course, Houston's on this slate again. I feel like Houston always starts the day. They were kind of on that weird Saturday slate that we had in week 16. Um, they, I feel like they've been on some other slates where they've been the first team to go um, in the playoffs as well. So we, we got that game first, and I think it, we have to start out at the quarterback position with talking about this game because Josh Allen really finds himself in, in a great spot this week. Um, this Houston secondary has been god awful with guys like, you know, Vernon Hargraves and Gary on Conley and Jonathan Joseph, who's been getting burned all year. And and really, you know, the, the thing that's sticking out to me at the start is the Josh Allen and John Brown stack. And how high owned is that going to be with it being the first game? Because it, it's just such a juicy matchup in Kev. So Houston, they're allowing the second most DK points to the quarterback position. That was over the regular season. Uh, they're the only team on the slate to allow over 20 DK points to the position as well. And so, and then you look at what wide receivers have been doing against them. And I'm just going to read out some of these lines to you that I saw over the past six weeks. So, Rashad Perryman played him on that Saturday slate. He had 12 targets. He went for a seven and 102. AJ Brown played him twice over the past uh, six weeks. He had a line of four, 124 and one, and then another line of eight, 114 and one. They saw the Denver Broncos, and they really didn't have a notable wide receiver stat, but Noah Fant put up four, 113 and one. Uh, Julian Edelman, had six one hundred six and one, and James White had eight ninety eight and two in that same game. So really giving up a ton of points and bunches, a ton of big plays as well, a uh, plays over twenty yards um, to pass catchers. And so you're looking at John Brown's price at six thousand, and pairing him with a Josh Allen that comes in at uh, just over six K. And when you're starting off the slate, you know you want to put yourself in a prime position. Um, to start in at, at 6,500 and 6,000 for the two of them, they don't seem too much uh, for a stack. We've talked about John Brown being the favorite target of Josh Allen uh, all season long. They don't really have a pass catching back threat, so to speak. Uh, and then the other guys they have are Cole Beasley, uh, Duke Williams, um, Robert Foster, if he's seeing some snaps, I haven't really looked at that. They have no tight end. So, like, really, this is kind of just where I wanted to start it off because, Kev, I think this is going to be a chalk stack of the week. And we ha- and we have some other great ones 
are good ones, I think decent enough ones to pair. So what is going to be your approach in tournaments as far as how many teams you're making, what you think your exposure to the Buffalo offense will be around Josh Allen at, at all, if any? And how are you, how are you feeling just about this game as a whole? And we can talk about the flip side of that game with the Deshaun Watson and what his pass catchers offer. A couple of things with this first game. I think that you sort of look at it and I don't necessarily love it from a DFS perspective. Like I do think Josh Allen makes some sense, especially because of his running, uh, his running ability. We don't have too many quarterbacks on this slate that have that. Obviously both of Josh Allen and Sean Watson, um, that is something that they bring to the table. But past that, I mean, you know, obviously Russ uh, can, can can give you that. But for the most part, you're looking at a lot of quarterbacks who don't really give you a lot in terms of, you know, their running ability. Ryan Tannehill um, has, has some upside with that as well. But for the most part, it you know, there's not a Lamar, you know, you don't have the Lamar Jacksons and the, and the Kyler Murrays. So, yeah, at 6,500, I think you could go to Josh Allen. I just don't know. Like this game feels a lot like a seventeen to fourteen type game. Um, that that's sure. not going to be as high scoring. And the the tough part with this is that it's the first game on the slate, right? And so if you get this wrong and you go heavy with this, those lineups are dead. Um and so I feel like there's a little bit more upside in some of these other matchups, though I do like the, the, the call with, you know, at least having some exposure to this Buffalo team because Houston's defense is not very good. They are I they think they are expected to get JJ Watt back. I mean, if you look at some of the numbers, um, they're actually fourth against uh, defending short passes, but 30th, or excuse me, this other way around, 30th against uh, defending the short passes, but fourth against deep ball. So they've been pretty strong with, with, with defending the deep ball. It's been the short underneath stuff that's really killed them. So, like, for me, like, if I was playing somebody from this game, like, I think the guys that, that I am the most intrigued about is not so much Josh Allen, but I would like to have a couple pieces, and maybe we'll get into it more, but like a Devin Singletary or even a Cole Beasley, um, I think are more guys that I would be looking at. On the other side with Deshaun Watson, I am not. I know a lot of people will probably downplay um, him, with especially because DeAndre Hopkins is going to be seeing probably – exclusively uh, Tredavious White. And then you have on the other side, now Will Fuller is a true game dime decision. And it really, Deshaun Watts' numbers with Will Fuller and without Will Fuller are are pretty, 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 it's a pretty big gap there with and without him. And it doesn't sound like Will Fuller is going to play. I think the last I had seen that they would be surprised if he plays. So I think that's also something to factor in. So this, again, this game just doesn't do a lot for me. I think there's other games that I would much rather target that just feel like they have a little bit more upside than what this one does. No, I, and Kev, I, I definitely agree with you. It definitely gives me some pause. Uh, and it, I keep alluding back to it, but you know, I'm going to go back to this week 16 matchup with the Houston Texans going against uh, Tampa Bay uh, where Everybody was targeting Houston because of the pass funnel defense that Tampa Bay kind of presents. And Watson went out there disappointed. Hopkins went out there disappointed. And that was the first game of kind of that that slate. Um, and the exposures were so heavy on these players. Like I think Hopkins was 75% owned in the big tournament. Watson was like 60%. Will Fuller was up there in the maybe 40% or something like that. He gets hurt in the game. Uh, Kenny Stills pretty much had the only usable line. Uh, I think maybe Duke Johnson uh, fell into double digit points in that game as well too. But, you know, if you, like you said, if this is a slow paced game, you could really 
benefit on the field, especially in um, large field tourneys. Not maybe not so much the high dollar ones, because I think in the high dollar ones, I, I do feel pretty confident that the Josh Allen and John Brown stat can pay off dividends. But if you're looking to take down the big $3 or the 25 milli maker or what have you here on DK, at least where we're looking, um, you know, we're talking about Drew Brees being on the slate. You have a Carson Wentz who's pretty much not sexy, but with the pieces that he has, but has been carrying the team and is, is going to be looking to throw. You have a Russell Wilson on this slate. Um, you have so many other quarterback options to go to because we are talking about the playoffs now. So most of these guys are viable. You have a Ryan Tannehill going on the road in New England, but he, you know, it's going to be a tough matchup for maybe Derrick Henry or AJ Brown, who knows, but he could be forced to throw if they get down big. So there's, there's so many other facets to take in that uh, I do think it's important, or I thought it was important to kind of highlight this game as a whole. Now, with Deshaun Watson, Kev, on the flip end, you know, I do think it makes some sense to have exposure to him. You know, you're making 20 lines. I, I feel comfortable having, you know, probably three at least, may, maybe even four, because this is a home game for him. Uh, his home splits are a little bit better than than the road splits. And even without Will Fuller being there, Kev, like, you know, struggling against Tennessee with the 27 attempts and, and 25 against Indy, but he he's usually getting around the 30 attempt range here. And if Buffalo is going to be giving him some trouble, I think they're going to, you know, put it on Deshaun's back here to kind of say, you know, let's see what you, you know, go out and see what you can do for us. And he does have, you know, 30 point upside, even with, you know, you're looking at this Denver game. He didn't reach the 300 yard bonus on DK, only had one touchdown, still uh, made 30 points because of the rushing ability that he has in the red zone. And if there's no Will Fuller out there and DeAndre's getting shadowed by Tredavious White, he could end up running some of those in. I think another guy on the injury report, too, was Jordan Atkins. Uh, So they might only be rolling out David or Daniel Fells, whichever one of the Fells that is, um, which we know how much that they love to use the tight ends, especially in red zone situations. So you could get some rushing upside there from Deshaun too. So I, I do like having exposure to him, but uh, Kev, we can open it up to, to some of these other games. Uh, I think probably outside of Josh Allen, uh, the quarterback that I'll have the the next amount of exposure to is, is probably Drew Brees. He is 6,600. Uh, but he's going against a Minnesota team as well that has just been getting ob- obliterated. Um, I have no idea what happened to Xavier Rhodes, but he has just been getting burned all year. So it's a nuts matchup for Michael Thomas. And I think the other thing, Kev, I mean, look at his, I hate to be a game log uh, truther or watcher or whatever the case may be, but I'm looking at these past couple of games Three touchdowns, zero interceptions against Carolina. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions against Tennessee. Four, zero against Indy. Five, zero against San Fran. Like, it's just incredible what he's been doing. And the great thing about Drew Brees is, you know, you really don't have to. He might throw a touchdown to Traquan. He might throw a touchdown to Ted Ginn. He might throw one to Jared Cook. But the chances of those guys having that slate-breaking winning score that you need to have isn't that that high. So you could just take him with Michael Thomas 
hope that Michael Thomas goes out there, gets two, and, you know, he gets you 30 to 40 points in that range. And you got Drew Brees getting 30 to 40. Now you've gotten 60 to 80 points between two players um, in, in a great matchup for them playing in the Superdome. I think that's what really it comes down to. So I, I love Drew Brees in this matchup. And then probably the the third quarterback for me before I toss it over to you, Kev, um, would, would be Carson Wentz. And it doesn't, like I said, he doesn't have the pieces there. He's not playing with a full deck of cards, but I'm looking at the attempts and what the potential score could be and how this team's going to going to score. And Miles Sanders has this ankle injury. He's been banged up all week, still hasn't practiced. We're, we're recording on Thursday, so that Friday injury report's going to be huge. He's in jeopardy of missing. Ertz is in jeopardy of missing. Now, I would, I would love Ertz to be healthy for me to like this play a little bit more because I think Ertz and Goddard can really carry the load there. And then th- these guys like Greg Ward and uh, our Sega Whiteside can kind of fill the gap. But he's passing the ball, such heavy pass volume. Uh, when they get into the red zone, they're passing the ball as well. Uh, and even, you know, these two games that were divisional games, only throwing one touchdown and having a fumble or not lost, but still fumbling the ball. He's, he is struggling, but he's hit the 300 yard bonus uh, in uh, three of his past five games, getting you around the 20, 21, 22, 23 points on average. And, you know, if we can just get a multiply touchdown game out of him, he plays in the last game uh, of the slate. I think a lot of people will have Dallas Goddard in their lineups, regardless of Zach Ertz's uh, ability to play. So, you know, I would be looking to, and I'm a big 20 max entry guy. I'd be looking to have a team that has Wentz, Goddard and Ertz on it um, in some lines, just because of they're going to see heavy pass volume with the injuries to the wide receivers. And we know that two tight ends is super contrarian. So I'm trying to find ways to get exposure to him, but I love this matchup uh, against Seattle. That's been allowing points and bunches. The secondary uh, is the shell of what we once knew as the Legion of boom. So I think that's my third favorite quarterback of the slate pending uh, that he at least has, you know, Zach Gertz out there to, to balance out the load. Where are you looking at with quarterback on this slate uh, between the two days? And, and how are you feeling uh, about your exposures right now as we record this uh, early podcast. So right now, I think if you look at some of the totals here, like basically you have, you know, the 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 Saints who have the highest implied point total on the slate, and it's really not close. I think the Saints right now are 28 and a half, where the next closest team, I believe, is at 24 and a half, uh, at, least, uh, at least a day or two ago. That's, how, that's the way it was, uh, it was trending. Um, it's going to be hard to get away from this game, but I do think that there there should be some um, intrigue with going with a Kirk Cousins here at sixty one hundred because if they're going to be trailing, they're going to have to throw the ball. They have the weapons with Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs and Dalvin Cook. Lean on the lean on the pass. So I and I don't think Kirk Cousins is going to be all that popular either. Um, I, th- I as far as price is concerned, I think he's one of the better point per dollar plays on the slate. Somebody, even if you get garbage time out of him, you're, you're perfectly okay with it. Um, I don't, I can't, it's going to be hard for me to imagine a scenario where they're able to get up on top and really kind of impose their will running the ball. Um, so I, I really do like Kirk cousins. It's going to be hard to get away. I'm going to have some drew Brees exposure, but right now I think most of my, everything that I want to play is either Russ Wentz or Cousins, 
And I'll have probably a little bit of Brady sprinkled in. Brady at 5,800 just seems incredibly thin. And there's there's going to be a couple things to monitor here with that game because Tennessee is right now, I think, possibly going to be without the, their top two. And if that happens, then I think that you could have a little bit more, a little bit more confidence in Brady. But that offense just looks so, so bad. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe they come out and kind of get it figured out a little bit. But, you know, it's crazy to see Tom Brady as the lowest option on the slate at quarterback at 5,800. But right now, I think that's kind of where I'm at. But I, I think the most important thing, really, for playing playoff DFS is going to be leaving yourself out to be able to make late swaps and kind of reevaluating your lineups, you know, after Saturday and then going back and looking at every one of your lineups, see where they stand, and then starting to make some late swaps with it. It doesn't mean you do it with every single lineup. It doesn't mean you do it just blindly, but I think being smart and contrarian about it and, and making some good late swaps because it's going to be the key to you know really taking down a tournament. Because if you're not doing it, the chances of you hitting one is low. Because, I, I mean, anybody uh, who plays DFS, anybody who plays especially playoff DFS, you know, is going to be uh, making some late swaps and stuff like that. No, one hundred percent. I mean, it 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 goes without saying that you know you want to look at these later games, and and I think you know both both of these late games on Sunday. You know, maybe if we had Buffalo and Houston uh, at the Sunday afternoon or Sunday early morning Sunday afternoon game, you would feel you know confident about if the rest of these guys hit. I don't really need to have but one maybe two pieces of this game to have exposure to it and, and really feel confident. But, you know, Minnesota, New Orleans, ton of offensive weapons in that game and Seattle and Philly, that could just be one of those just ugly games that ends up turning into a shootout, not because the teams are really playing all that great, but just there's just ugly play forced turnovers. Um, Russ has been playing some flop, sloppy footballs of late. So has Carson and especially with pieces being out for, for both sides, uh, mind you, with the running back situation uh, in Seattle, um, that that could have some pieces that end up hitting that aren't necessarily expected. Um, so, you know, I definitely am trying to find ways to build teams that allow me to get in, you know, make at least three pieces on Sunday that I feel pretty good about. I don't want to load up with full teams that are just on Saturday just because of the nature of, of these games and what I think they will be. Go ahead, Kevin. Well, I was going to say, like, I feel like that if there was a sneaky game that I think could shoot out, I think it's, I think it is the, the Philly, um, it's the, it's the Philly and Seattle game. I do think that game has some, uh, you know, some shootout potential to it. Uh, both defenses, especially their past defenses, can be had. Both uh, offer a little bit better on their run defense, especially the Eagles. And, you know, with the, with the Seahawks out here running Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch in his second game of the season, I do think that there, there's something to be had here in terms of the passing games, whether it's stacking Russ with Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf or even a Hollister or even, you know, even running Travis Homer, who is, is, is being heavily targeted as well as a pass catcher. And looks probably like the best running back they have right now. But I, I do think, and then running it back with a Goddard or even a Greg Ward or something like that. So um, I just think yeah. this, this, this Seahawks-Eagles game has a little bit of sneaky upside here and one that I'm probably going to have a little yeah. bit more exposure. And I think that's going to be kind of one of the keys here is because it's similar to kind of like uh, like you were talking about with that Saturday slate where it was a three-game slate where everybody wanted to really load up on that that Texans-Bucks game, and it didn't really turn out to be the game that you really wanted to target as much. And so 
I, I like this game uh, as a as sort of a contrarian play. But again, like you don't, I don't think you need to get super contrarian and kind of build this crazy off the wall lineup. Like I think that we we sort of have an idea, especially I think like. And we'll get into it with wide receiver, but like I feel like, for example, Michael Thomas is kind of a free square at ninety, even at ninety three hundred. He's just yeah. you just can't avoid him. You have to play him. He is the most consistent player yeah. on the slate. And like, don't get like I would have some lineups without him, maybe a twenty percent, thirty percent lineups without him. In the event something happens, of course he could go out the first play of the game and and get injured and get knocked out of the game, and then you'd have a huge edge. But I wouldn't get stupid and be like, okay, I'm only going to play thirty percent Michael Thomas. Yeah, no, I I mean just talking about the the twenty builds, I usually get into the twenty max of the three dollar tournament, Kev, and and so I'm hand, hand build all my lineups. Uh, and I was actually writing down lineup situations before we started the pod. And before I even started writing down my notes, I said, do not make more than five lineups that do not include Michael Thomas. Like, I just don't I, if I'm playing 20 lines, like at most, I'm going to have five that don't have him on there because it, it's just too good of a matchup. And he's too good of a player um, and he has too much of a target share. It's just it's, things just align appropriately where you're like, why even think of anything different? Because the likeliest chance of this to hit is, is right there in front of me. Um, real quick, Kev, before we move on to the running back position, I, I did want to talk about that, that game because Russell Wilson, he is the highest priced quarterback. He plays in the last game. I think he'll go overlooked. And especially because you're looking at, I have it up here, the week 12 matchup that was in Philly, that game was expected to be, you know, I think it was, Maybe 40, 48 or 49 and a half was the over under for that game. And 17 to nine was the final total. Russell Wilson looked it, it looked rough for him. Uh, he only had 200 yards passing, uh, only a couple scrambles there, really disappointed. Everybody uh, pretty much in that game disappointed. And so one of the best things that I think we can do uh, especially as DFS players is look at situations where, okay, was that an anomaly or is that something that's likely to happen every time that these teams match up? And because we know how the Seahawks and Eagles are playing defenses by selling out to stop the run, I feel like, you know, this could end up being an anomaly here for this playoff situation with most people looking at this game and saying, Oh, they already played in Philly, mind you. And that game was, didn't didn't really have anything for me, so I'm just going to avoid it altogether. Or I'm just going to play Dallas Goddard and not really think of any Seattle plays really hitting um, and not, not getting it as much exposure as, as might need be for this game. And I remember, you know, and we're, we're talking about old slates, but just to bring it up one more time with the Thanksgiving slate, you know, we talked about the scenarios with uh, with Maddie and, and Derek here from the TQE about ways – you know, games could go. And with you, I think you brought it up that the Falcons and Saints game could actually end up being a shootout, even with Julio Jones that was uh, injured, or maybe it was Ridley. One of, one of the two main receivers was hurt. They end up playing. Um, and Matt Ryan goes out and has the slate winning score. If you had him. like the way that the game just ended up being at the end with the Russell Gage touchdown and what have you, like that game ended up turning into a shootout and, uh, when they looked dead in the water and it paid off. So, you know, this is a guy with Russell Wilson. He's the highest priced quarterback. And we talk about quarterback, you know, scores kind of all being 
a couple points fluctuating amongst each other. So if Josh Allen goes out there, he gets 27 points, 28 points, you're feeling great. Um, you know, Drew Brees goes out there, he gets 30 points, you're feeling good. But then we could get Russell Wilson, and he could have one of these 40-point outbursts just because of the style of play that that happens. And uh, I, I definitely want people to be thinking about, you know, game scenarios and not so much just the plays on paper because I, I'm with you, Kev. I do think that this game could uh, exceed the over-under that it's set at right now. No, I was going to say I, I agree, and I think that uh... – so that game, actually, the game you were talking about, I think that was, yeah, that was Thanksgiving slate. And that was uh, Julio was not expected to play, and he did not play, but it was very late. It was right before lock that he that they finally announced it, that he was going to be out. It's not something we knew ahead of time. So you you kind of uh, made you go in a direction of either you had to have lineups with them and then look for a late swap and kind of set yourself right. up that way. Because that was a Christian Blake week that, remember, we all went back and forth about him. Yep. And yep. uh not minimum 3k and i think he ended up getting the like 12 15 something like that i can't remember exactly but yeah and it was uh calvin ridley who actually at the end of the game caught that long touchdown he ended up being the guy that you kind of needed but regardless of that uh i i totally agree with what you're saying like i said so basically i think for me it's going to be some combination i mean i'm going to have some drew Brees, um but i'm mainly going to have you know russ and then Kirk cousins um as kind of a pivot off of drew Brees, um and then um like I said, a little bit of Owens and a little bit of Brady. Yeah, I think I think my main rosters will have uh, Josh Allen uh, and Drew Brees, some types of exposures to, to them. And then, you know, as I start, if I start entering in past my 20 max and trying to, you know, hedge bets or think of ways to go, I think the next two would be either Wentz or, or Russell. Um, getting exposure to that late game to try and play around with that. I mean, I just, you know, if Brady goes out there and kills me, so be it. Tannehill goes out there, kills me, so be it. Um, Watson, I could maybe have a couple lines with him, and maybe I'll have one line to those other quarterbacks just to say that I did, but there are by no means going to be any cornerstones or on any of my main builds this week. Um, I'd just much rather have other pieces of the games that they're in. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, move it on to running back Kev and talk about that as we pretty much exhausted the quarterback options there, but at running back position, we got Derrick Henry, uh, at the top followed by Dalvin cook and Alvin Kamara are your only running backs priced above seven K then comes miles Sanders. He does have the Q tag. We are waiting to see what his status is. If he doesn't go Boston Scott has already been priced up because of what he did. Uh, the last week of the season coming in for Sanders and putting up a, a whopping 35.8 points uh, against the New York Giants there um, with crazy, uh, with some crazy stat lines with the, with the uh, pass catching ability he has and uh, found the end zone a couple of times. Devin Singletary in a great matchup comes in at 6k. Uh, then you got James White, and uh, Homer and Lynch are priced right around each other because nobody knows what the hell to expect from that Seattle backfield, 52 and 5,300. Uh, Carlos Hyde at 51, then Latavius Murray at, at 5K. Uh, so before we get into some of these other guys um, at the bottom here, which th- there's actually two uh, 4K running backs that I love, um, I think for me it starts with Devin Singletary. Um you know, if I'm not building teams with Josh Allen on them, I, I definitely want to have Devin Singletary uh, on them because of the matchup. Um, this Houston D, they're just allowing a ton of yards per play, I believe, like 6.1 yards per play. 
uh, is what I had down. Um, and they've been uh, they've been getting gashed by the running back position. And so Devin Singletary, he, you know, he he's not seeing quite the the share um, that I would like to see. You know, these 15 attempts, 17 attempts, 14 attempts, you know, you kind of want that 21 attempts he saw against Pittsburgh. Um, but, you know, hasn't seen the end zone um, in any capacity since week 13. Um, but he comes in at 6K at a position that's not really, you know, the the two highest priced running backs, Kev, are, are in tough matchups. And then Alvin Kamara, I, I, while I love him and I love the price tag on him, like he hasn't really shown um, too much to, to, you know, be for the juice to be worth the squeeze. So I think Singletary is just a safe bet there. Um, I think they'll utilize him in the red zone and uh, they'll definitely get him going. So I I think that's a safe play, but uh, outside of that, um, you know, I'm not really sure how much exposure I'll have to Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry. I think they'll, the Patriots will kind of try to, you know, take Henry out of the game and, I'd much rather pay for a higher price wide receiver um, than Derrick Henry and Dalvin cook. I I just want to know, I know he's a full participant and everything, but the shoulder, it still worries me a little bit. Like, is he more injured than we're leading on? And the saints have been pretty stout at stopping the run all season long. It just, it feels kind of dicey for me to kind of take that risk. But I, you know, they're two of, the best place just when you look at, you know, on paper and what they offer from their skill sets. But for me, I think it's 6K and under. It's it's Devin Singletary. It's James White. James White has been a huge pillar um, of this offense. And while the numbers don't say so, the dude is pretty much always on the field. Um, Rex Burkhead being back has kind of tampered or, or um, hindered his uh, pass game. Um, exposure, but he's still, you know, putting up double digit fantasy points without finding uh, the end zone in some of these games. And we know what, what it means when um, it's playoff time for the Patriots. And that's getting one of their best guys involved. Julian Edelman, like all season is on the injury report yet again. Um, Muhammad Sanu hasn't really been getting involved. Philip Dorsett is you know, on a milk carton and Nikhil Harry is really the only other guy. They don't really have a tight end exposure. So if they're going to be moving the ball here, um, I, I love James White in this matchup uh, as well as he's, he's had some amazing stat lines uh, in recent playoff memory. So I'll be, I'll be definitely having exposure to him at only 5,700. Uh, the two guys, Kev, that I was talking about under 4k are going to be uh, Duke Johnson, and Sony Michelle for me. So, so this is actually a pretty decent matchup uh, on the ground for for the Patriots. So Sony Michelle, he's been getting 19 carries, 18 carries, 21 carries. You definitely love to see that. Seems like they were kind of easing him in to get ready for the playoffs is what it felt like. Um, and while he hasn't necessarily hit the 100 yards there, did find a score against Miami. Um it, it just could be one of those games. And like you said, the, the offense hasn't really looked great. So when they get into the red zone, okay, let's not try and force anything here. Let's uh, let's get the ball to Sonny Michelle. Now, of course, if their cornerbacks are uh, out, then that kind of changes the tune of a, of a lot of this. But I think at this point in time, I think I like getting exposure to Sonny Michelle. And then Duke Johnson, he he's really been involved on um, the past – 
couple of weeks as well, too. Uh, and it gets this Buffalo team that is is really stout against the run, even with Carlos Hyde, um, you know, being only 5,100. It's kind of tough to to want to trust him. But Duke, Duke Johnson, so the, the pass catching backs against uh, the Buffalo Bills recently, you had Le'Veon Bell get five catches for 36 yards. Um, James White and Rex Burkhead combined for nine catches uh, for 101 yards when they played. And then uh, Zeke had seven and 66 against them on uh, that Thanksgiving day. He's had targets of six, four, three, eight, um, and six in his past five games. Um, and you're looking at 45 yards here, 40 yards there. Um, if, there's no Will Fuller. I think we could see even more of a passing uh, uptick for Duke Johnson in this game. If they're getting from behind, um, I think they could definitely be utilizing Duke Johnson as well. And at only 4,400, he kind of comes in at a play where I feel a lot more confident with him at 4,400 than I do some of these other low price wide receivers. So even if you, you know, you want to play him and kind of not play him in the flex spot, but utilize him as a flex and take two of these other running back positions that play later um, outside of Devin Singletary. I think that's fine too. So that's kind of where I'm at with the running back position. Uh, Kev, what say you at running back and where are you? Well, we look at the top two guys, Derek Henry and Dalvin Cook. They both have really tough matchups this week. Um, the Patriots are elite against the run. Uh, the Saints have been elite against the run. I think they've allowed the third fewest um, fantasy points to the position. So, and right now, Miles Sanders had did not practice today. Uh, so right now, I mean, things are starting to look like he may not play. You know, it, it, I can't imagine. And, I mean, last week was a must-win game for them, and he wasn't good enough to get on the field. I have to feel like that that ankle injury is probably a little bit more, a little worse than what we think. And so probably with – and, and with – you know, Boston Scott as well as he played, especially as a pass catching back. And then, you know, now they, they did come out and Doug Peterson said that they want to get Jordan Howard more work this week. So mm. with that being said, like, I feel like it's uh, Alvin Kamara is certainly in play at 7,400. You're playing him because of that pass catching um, volume that he, he does get. I mean, outside of last week, which was a bloodbath against uh, where they just destroyed the Panthers. Um, you know, if you go, you look at his tar- seven, five, six, eight, nine, ten, ten, eight, seven. You know, ten. You know, that's kind of what you're looking for is those eight to ten targets that he's likely going to receive. He's going to, you know, get you ten to twelve carries. And at seventy four hundred, that's just way too cheap. Yes, Minnesota's uh, run defense is, be- is certainly better than their pass defense, but they certainly can be had on the ground as well. And with the, no- the number of weapons that they have, I think Kamara makes a lot of sense at seventy four hundred. Kind of starting with him, uh, you know. Uh, I will sprinkle in a little bit of Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook as both them. Obviously, Dalvin Cook as well does uh, you know is utilized pretty heavily as a pass catcher, especially a team that, that could be down. So you could see uh, more targets uh, coming his way, which you know. So I think there's uh, ways that he can get there. And only at seven eight hundred, eighty two hundred dollar Derrick Henry is is really really tough to get there. Especially I know that the dude has been a monster. I think over the last four weeks he's averaged twenty six fantasy points per game. Um, and, uh, you know, A.J. Brown is, like, right behind him there in that department. But, yeah, Derrick Henry averages 26 fantasy points per game since week nine, which ranks second most. A.J. Brown averages 21.3 since week 12, also second most. So you kind of look at that, and there's lots of like there. But the problem is this, this New England defense is still really strong against the run. It's just not a great matchup for him. 
And so while certainly we, we know that this man gets going at this time of the year, they're going to try to feed him to keep New England off the field. Um, I, it's just a tough play. And I just, especially for somebody who does not, is not utilized as a pass catcher. And if New England at all is able to get up early, it, you could see Derrick Henry kind of get phased out a little bit. And I think that's the biggest concern, especially at 8,200. I just don't think there's a lot of need to go there. It could end up killing me, but uh, I'd rather ride with not playing him. So, mm-hmm. Now, the next one is, is is Devin Singletary. I love that call at 6K. Uh, he, there for a while, was kind of a 50-50 split with him, but now he has basically taken over that backfield, getting around 70 to 80% of the snaps. And, you know, he also utilizes a pass catching back at 6K. just seems a little bit mispriced to me. I think he should be somewhere up closer to the 7K range. So at 6K, and Houston is god-awful against the run. They're they they, don't, they allow the top they're in the top five of the most fantasy points allowed um, to the running back position and so you know you look at his numbers and you say okay well yeah he's getting all this volume but he hasn't done a lot with it which is which is somewhat true I mean you look at you know, but they he hasn't had easy matchups again against New England he had 15 for 46 the week before that against Pittsburgh another really bad matchup uh, 21 for 87 only nine fantasy points but if you kind of go back before that the 17 the 19 15 uh, they're the three weeks prior to that. So Devin Singletary is 6K, though I think he's going to have a uh, pretty heavy ownership. I think he's worth it at that price tag. Um, you know, as we talked about with no Miles Sanders, uh, as a, this is a completely, you know, um, game dependent type of play, but I think Jordan Howard at 4,900, like I think you can tell yourself a story mm-hmm. how that, 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 how he could pay off. We know they're going to want to run the football, that's not really Boston Scott's game. Boston Scott's much more of a pass catching back. I mean, he had 19 carries last week, only 54 yards. Um, he did have the three rushing touchdowns, but I do think that Jordan Howard takes back over this backfield, especially if Miles Sanders is out. Then $4,900 Jordan Howard. This feels like a type of like. If you go back a few years ago, like Garrett Blunt, right, who kind of came out of nowhere uh, for the Patriots, that they really hadn't been utilizing yeah. him, and then all of a sudden he just goes nuclear in the playoffs. Like this feels like that type of situation here with Jordan Howard. So I wouldn't want a ton of exposure to him, but I think having probably 20, 25% at the most exposure okay. to Jordan Howard, I think does make some sense against Seattle. Um, Who's not great against the run? They're more league average against the run. So forty nine hundred dollars Jordan Howard is just a little bit too cheap for somebody that I think even if he gets you fifty yards and two touchdowns, I think you're perfectly okay with it. And then you know Carlos Hyde is another one who's getting a ton of volume as well. You know minus last week, what he had a 26, uh, 20, yeah, 17, 26, 14. not utilized heavily in the passing game. Um, so that is also a concern, at 50, but at 5,100, again, that's another place you can go. But for me, I think right now, like where my, most of my exposure is going to go to is going to be Alvin Kamara. It's going to be Devin Singletary. I'm certainly going to have some James White because we know this is James White time of the year. This is when James White shines is in the playoffs and just crushes. So I, I definitely want some James White. I I'm going to have some, uh, uh, some Travis Homer, um, I mean, you look at his touches. I mean, he's had 13 targets the last two weeks. Uh, last week, he was actually better on the ground. He had 10 attempts for 62 yards. Certainly looked like the better the better running back here. And I would rather take him over Marshawn Lynch. So at 5,300, I like that building block as well. 
you know, I think you could even pair him with Russ. I think you'd have to tell yourself a story, especially if he gets a lot of targets, then they're probably going to need to, they're obviously going to be throwing the ball, which uh, obviously uh, is a negative against Marshawn Lynch. So I think Travis Homer at 5,300, if you wanted to stack him with him, Russ, and even uh, like a DK Metcalf, I I really like that kind of a stack there to get a little bit different and to soak up some of that. So, and then probably running it back with like a Jordan Howard, if you wanted to, it seems a little crazy, but if if you think that they're going to be behind and they're going to have to utilize the pass catching back a lot, then Jordan Howard, I think makes some sense as somebody that they're going to be leaning on to run the football. So, so yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm going to be at. Like I said, I'll have a little bit of exposure. I'll have some exposure to Dalvin Cook, you know, maybe a little bit of Boston Scott, but I mean, I think that's right. Pretty much right where I want to be. Yeah. I, I love that call um, that you have with, with Homer there at 5,300 um, just with the touches that he's getting. Um, it is, you know, I, I think the narrative there is, uh, Marshawn Lynch is is there, therefore they signed him off the street for a reason. So it's hard to want to play Homer when Marshawn Lynch is just right there. But I think that's why DK just priced them appropriately. That you just aren't thinking about that running back situation, and and hopefully you know you just you know nobody's going to take the time to really look into uh, um, the numbers and how Homer's being used. But uh, you know I think it does have a lot to be said that this guy has been on the team. And while Marshawn Lynch had been on the team, you know, he's just coming off the street. Like Homer's been in the playbook. Like he, he understands this offense, understands what they want to do. So they might, you know, lean on him more, um, you know, in a, in a closer game or from behind um, just because of the trust uh, that could be there. Uh, But yeah, Kev, I just wanted to bring up some of these uh, notable lines here from James White. So, you know, it, it's, it seems like it's always to start the postseason. He comes out strong. So last year against the Chargers, he had that 15, uh, 15, 97, 15 receptions, excuse me, 97 yard uh, game, which is just absolutely bananas um, on 17 targets. Uh, it, you know, the Super Bowl, he had 14 uh, catches, 410 yards and a touchdown. Um, five catches for 45 yards against Denver his first year, four against 29 uh, against with a touchdown against the Tennessee team and also had rushed in a touchdown uh, in 18. He scored a touchdown in, in every postseason game that he was in, uh, scored three in that Super Bowl last year. He didn't have any um, touchdowns at all. But like I said, that that starting game where he goes 15 for 97 is, is just ridiculous when you're getting that production out of a pass catching back. So it's, it's hard to fade a guy like that when he's heavily utilizing offense, especially with the injuries um, that new England is possibly seeing with six guys uh, questionable on the report. Um, is there anything else Kev here? So, so the thing about, so when we look at a Derrick Henry, for example, um, I think he's played New England twice in his career. Uh, last year was in the playoffs, and that was with Mariota, so a different scheme. They scored 14 points. He didn't have a touchdown, only had like 26 yards on the ground, and I think maybe 10 or, or 20 yards through the air. Uh, but then he had another game against them during the regular season uh, in like 18 or 17 where he uh, had 50 yards on the ground, but he scored twice. Um, but even then, you know, 50 yards, he scores twice. So, you're, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, just about 17, 18 points, depending on how many passes he catches. That's where the price tag doesn't really, you know, pay off. But when we're looking at a guy like Carlos Hyde, if this game does end up being ugly, 
um, and they're in the red zone. He's 5,100. Now, if Carlos Hyde goes out there and can get you the same line that we're talking about here, like 50 yards and two scores, he's not really a guy that we've seen. I don't think he has – no, doesn't have one uh, game this year where he had multiple – uh, touchdowns in the game, but he has had some game, you know, against Tennessee, he had 26 carries for 104 uh, in a touchdown, which is a usable st- definitely a usable line um, would be a great line uh, for this slate. Seven, 73 yards on 14 attempts against Denver uh, with a couple of catches. I, I think it's okay to try and have a scenario where, you know, you're playing Carlos Hyde in the sense that, you know, if Houston is the one that gets out to the lead early, maybe it's because of a Carlos Hyde rushing touchdown from the one and he breaks off a couple runs. And then you're playing on the other side, Josh Allen and, uh, and John Brown. I wouldn't pair Carlos Hyde with Deshaun Watson um, in any lines. It just doesn't seem right. But at 5,100, you know, when we were talking about, the running backs that are kind of around him. Um, and and it is the first game. So you're definitely, you know, want to talk yourself into, okay, I'm playing Carlos Hyde in this game. Who else do I want to have exposure to? Or do I just want to have him hope that he gets me, you know, maybe 15, 16 DK points. That's three X value on his price tag and uh, figure out the rest from there. I think I think he can be feasible just because of how he's used. I'll personally have more Duke Johnson because of how I think the game plays out, but I wouldn't be you know afraid of having a line or two that included Carlos Hyde in some of my main builds just to uh, you know say if Houston's going to score and they've they've got you know one of their tight ends out who they use in the red zone and Will Fuller out, um, they could utilize him a lot. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You definitely don't want to be um, – I think that's just negative. There's just no way that you – I would ever want to pair Sean Watson with, with Carlos Hyde. This, this doesn't really fit um, with game scripts and everything else, how you would expect it. Because if you're playing Carlos Hyde, then you're t- kind of telling yourself a story that Houston's able to kind of get out early and build a lead, and right. they're just going to feed him um, – the feet on the rock. So again, this it's right. not a, a a play that I feel like that I would want to have like heavy heavy exposure. It'd be something I, I'm in that you know fifteen twenty percent at the most, maybe ten to fifteen yeah. percent range. Um, kind of similar to Jordan Howard, where one of these guys I think is going to end up having a game, even if it's you know fifteen carries, seventy yards, and a touchdown. But at this price tag, like it it, it's, it can easily pay itself off. Whereas a guy like Derrick Henry, he could go out and rush for ninety yards and a score, and you are not happy about it at all because if he right, doesn't get you right. any pass catching volume like he, that's just not enough like at 8200 like you you're looking for 25 from him at least if he doesn't hit that and, 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 yeah you're, you're if you're playing him and getting that then you basically have to root all sunday that nobody else is going to hit that threshold or a crumb near that um because you've probably made sacrifices in other places um, and you're going to really need those guys, those wide receivers, mostly to hit. So it's 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 definitely possible he could go out there and disappoint, um, as we've seen with Michael Thomas on some of these shorter slates or DeAndre Hopkins. But um, it, it makes you it, it puts you in an ugly position where you're now rooting for the likes of Alvin Kamara and Homer and White or not White, but and Sanders and uh, these other guys who are playing on Sundays and not really. Um, get there at all 
Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. So, I mean, of course, yeah. On the there's other side of it, he could rush 25 times for 200 yards and three touchdowns and, and destroy you. But right. uh, I would have, like I said, I'd have some exposed to him, but it's not going to be very much. Uh, I just think that this just isn't the right spot for, especially in New England and everything else. I feel like if Tennessee's going to yeah. win this game, it's going to have to be through Ryan Tannehill, which is crazy enough to say as it is. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, and j- just to piggyback off your last point there, Kev, if you are thinking that, you know, Henry's going to go out there and just have the game of his life and playoff career, then you should be trying to run it back some way, shape or form with pass catcher or somebody on new England, because I don't see the Titans going out there and just blousing the Patriots at home. So if he is having a big game, the chances are they're going to be looking to throw any chance that they get on the New England side that could lead to James White having a big game, or maybe it's Edelman or Nikhil Harry or somebody. But I would definitely have exposure on the other side because they'll they'll definitely be slinging it. Um, and then not Sony. Don't play Sony on the other side if that if that's the case. Um, <clears throat> Kev, let's uh, let's move on to the wide receiver position, and uh, you know I'll, I'll talk about just the overlaying theme, and I'll let you start it off started off here but uh you know we got uh, Michael Thomas is uh, leaps and bounds at the top at 9300 uh we both kind of talked about how much we love him this week and what our exposure is there so I don't think anything else needs to be said uh we have DeAndre Hopkins at 7700 going against Buffalo I really think that you know at the beginning, when I was first doing my early look, I kind of just wrote it off. It's, you know, he's going to be shadowed by Tredavious White. And even though it's DeAndre Hopkins, he's disappointed um, in the past couple of weeks. I mean, even, you know, yeah, the Denver game, he, he really didn't. But doesn't play week 17. Tampa Bay, he only goes out and gets five for 23. Um, definitely not what you want to see. Uh, and then when he was against Stephon Gilmore, it five for 64 uh, and he hasn't really put up any big number games in the, in the postseason. I was looking at it, you know, I don't think he has a game over 75 receiving yards in his uh, four postseason games in his career, which I found really surprising. Um, so, you know, I guess it just depends on how you think. I, I definitely think, you know, you can't play Deshaun Watson and not play this guy. Um, you want to have exposure to him. Uh, but he also, you know, he had had some success when Stefan Gilmore was at Buff- Buffalo. I looked back and, and saw a game that they had played against each other. And I think he had maybe it was seven catches for some 60 or 70 yards, but he caught a touchdown. And then a game against Tredavious White. As well, he caught a touchdown in that game, too. So he has had some success against corners. And we know that Deshaun Watson is going to be looking for this guy any chance that he gets. So I do have some teams where I have both John Brown and Michael Thomas um, as my receiver, because as I said, I, I do have some exposure to like guys like James White, Duke Johnson, uh, and then I have DeAndre Hopkins on that team as well. So I, I, I'm going to be playing him on some lines. He's just too talented a wide receiver to not have any exposure to. But if you are picking between the two, I would go Michael Thomas every time, even with the price uptick. Um, A.J. Brown is in a tough spot against Gilmore. I know a lot's been made about Devontae Parker roasting him and things of that nature, but like this is the playoffs, and A.J. Brown's a rookie. I just don't know if I'll have any exposure to him outside of a Tannehill line that I built. Um, Tyler Lockett. So this, see, the Eagles have actually been 
pretty good on the secondary as far as limiting slot receivers. So it, it's just a matter of where he lines up. I think DK Metcalf probably finds himself in a better position this week. Um, he's 6,100 compared to Lockett at 72. Uh, Stefan Diggs is, is interesting there going against uh, Lattimore. He's 6,600. Adam Thielen's been banged up, so he could see more work. Um but I, I still don't like the matchups for the other two. Edelman's questionable. He's 6,500. And then John Brown is 6K flat um, at, at Buffalo. I mean, or uh, at Houston for Buffalo. I, I think that he is not the Michael Thomas free square that we're talking about. But when you're talking about John Brown being the number one receiver in this matchup, uh, that presents itself on paper at only 6K. I just can't get away from him. So I'll probably have similar exposure to him and Michael Thomas both um, just because of the price tag on John Brown and what I expect to happen um, because Cole Breezy is just not a dynamic receiver that much. And he's only used in, in short area fields where John Brown can definitely take some off. And with the 20 yard plays that Houston's been given up, I, I just love John Brown. Um Outside of that, uh, there's a couple of guys that I, that I like in the 3K range that I want to touch on. But Kev, talk to me about the, your overall feelings at the wide receiver position and where your exposures are going to lead. I feel like recency bias is going to lead a lot of people to want to play A.J. Brown. And people are going to look at what Devontae Parker just did to Stephon Gilmore. Want any part of it, um, especially a 7,400. That's just way too expensive. Um, I get how good he's been. Like we, I've already mentioned, um, I, I think over what did I over the last what was it last four weeks? Uh, he's the number two overall fantasy scorer. Um, but this just isn't a good matchup for him, and I just don't think that he is going to be somebody that I would want to target. Um, at 7,400, I would. Like we already talked about Michael Thomas, but DeAndre Hopkins, you're totally right. And people are going to see the Tredavious White thing, and they're going to say, oh, I can't play him. Well, you know, people always said the same thing with with him in regards to like when they played Jacksonville and it was Jalen Ramsey, and then he would catch a touchdown just about every time. Um, 7,700, DeAndre Hopkins, they're not going to – this sounds like Will Fuller is not going to play. We'll have to kind of wait and see on that. If he does not play, I mean, there's no way that DeAndre Hopkins isn't getting at least 10 targets – um, if not more. And so follow the targets. I'm not that worried about Tredavious White. DeAndre Hopkins can can more than handle himself against him. And so 7,700, you know, I really like that play as well. Tyler Lockett is interesting because of his big playability. But like you mentioned, um, they've actually been, yeah, and you're 100% correct on that. They are much better against the slot than they are against the um, – against the outside where DK Metcalf runs 89% of his routes on the outside where Tyler Lockett runs 70% of his routes on this in the slot. So I actually mm. think DK Metcalf is a much better play. Um, DK Metcalf is also, uh, um, over his last nine games is averaging 13 fantasy points per game. So there, there's a lot to like there with DK Metcalf. who's also $1,100 cheaper. So $6,100 DK Metcalf, um, I think is super interesting as a nice pivot off of a John Brown or even an Adam Thielen who are kind of all right here in this range. Um, I like DK Metcalf a lot. And like I said, if you want to, whether you want to play him by himself or stack him with, with Russ, I, I like those plays a lot. Uh, Julian Edelman is so tough for me because like, I don't know how hurt this dude, like it, it, I really feel like that he is much more injured than what he's letting on. Um, I know he did like a radio spot this week and said he's feeling uh, as best he has in the last couple of weeks. I don't know. I'm, I, 
I don't know. But what I do know is Tennessee is horrible against slot receivers, just terrible against the slot. And we know that Julian Edelman is is Tom Brady's safety blanket. And I don't know if anybody would be surprised if you saw him go out and have eight for 102 scores. And so Julian Edelman is one of my favorite plays at 6,500. He is super risky because of this injury. Who knows? Maybe he goes out there and he's more of a decoy than anything. But – I want to have. I'm definitely going to have some exposure to Julian Edelman, and then I think the other two, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, is going to be quite the debate. Because if you look at Adam Thielen, for one, like he just hasn't really gotten the targets. He's come back from injury. He had four, three, uh, you know, in these in these two weeks, but they didn't really have nothing to play for um, in week 17, so they didn't play against Green Bay. I felt like I thought he was going to have a little bit more targets, especially with considering they were down so much. But overall. Um, I think Thielen, you know, at 6,200 is probably in a better spot, especially in terms of matchup where I think that Marshawn Lattimore is probably going to shadow Stefan Dix for the most part. Um, Lattimore doesn't really go into the slot. So, I mean, there could be times where they kind of swap them out, but I think for the most part, I think they're going to try to get Thielen going in this game. And again, so I like Diggs. Diggs is definitely a big playability. Um, You know, he's up there and kind of the things that you want to see um, in terms of, uh, his efficiency numbers. Um, I think he's third or fourth. Yeah, he's third on this slate in terms of uh, weighted opportunity rating. Um, he's top five in, in um, yards per route run, which is all kind of the stuff that we're looking for in terms of, um, you know, 23% target share over the last four weeks as well. So there's a lot to like there with Stefan Diggs, but the matchup is super tough. You know, I probably want a little bit of exposure, but I wouldn't want to go crazy with it. Like I already mentioned, I really like Cole Beasley at 5,600. Um, I think that he is kind of a nice contrarian play where I don't think he's going to carry the ownership. And if you look at his numbers, I mean, 12 targets, you know, against New England, which again, this kind of feels like something like that for me where I feel like that they're going to try to really attack them underneath. And Cole Beasley has also found the end zone this year with six touchdowns. So I, I kind of like Cole Beasley as a pivot off of John Brown. And they kind of go down to the cheaper wide receivers. I think this is where things are going to get super interesting. And I think this is where the slate is going to be won, um, in my opinion. And so, one, Nikhil Harry is one that I have found myself uh, targeting a ton of. He has seven tar- He had seven targets last week. I guess you could make somewhat of an argument for some of these guys that are even cheaper. Um, Philip Dorsett, for one, had four, finally had was actually targeted last week. Uh, found uh, four targets, 50 yards, kind of that big play. But he only had the one reception for 50 yards. $3,200 Philip Dorsett. You know, I if you want to get a little wild... Um, I think you could play him if you wanted to. But for me, like I think Nikhil Harry is probably one of my favorite plays. And then the other one is probably Corey Davis. Corey Davis in his career has torched yep. the Patriots. And the target share is not bad. I mean, he's, he has five, four, six, and four. Like, it's not a ton, but at $3,800, he doesn't have to do a ton. I mean, four receptions, 50 yards, and a touchdown – you're thrilled at 3,800. Like you're, you're super happy. Now he only has two touchdowns on the year. I feel like this is a game where they're going to be doing whatever they can to take away AJ Brown. And I think, like I said, Stefan Gilmore is going to be all over AJ Brown where right now it looks like the Patriots could be missing their, their number two corner and could end up be rolling out JC Jackson as their number two. Corey Davis could be in line for, for some, uh, you know, some up, you know, a little bit more targets. And I think, uh, somebody who could find the end zone as well as a, um, 
So I think he's interesting. And I also think Traquan Smith at 4K, we always know that he can take one deep. The The Vikings uh, struggle at stopping the deep ball. So at 4K, Traquan Smith also makes sense. So I think this is kind of the range, in my opinion, where these guys, one of these guys is going to make or break this slate. And I think, you know, picking that right, whether it's Tequila Harry, whether it's Corey Davis or somebody like a Traquan, who is just a you know complete tournament play, I, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, what are your thoughts on these guys down here? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy you mentioned Corey Davis, Kev. I, I think it was Ian Harditz on Twitter that I saw who was mentioning something about how hilarious it was that Devontae Parker and Corey Davis um, have been the ones to torch Stefan Gilmore in his career, which I, I was thinking to myself, okay, what? Corey Davis? And then I remembered last year, and I was like, oh, my God, holy shit. Like, Corey Davis ruined so many of my lineups last year because I had none of him because of Stefan Gilmore. And he goes out there, catches two touchdowns and only, you know, two touchdowns, but only 56 yards. And he was so cheap. And um, it, it was just so brutal to watch this guy go out there and just ball out. Um, ridiculous. And now he finds himself at 3,800. Uh, he played against Stefan Gilmore in the regular season as well uh, back in 2018 and had a seven-catch, 125-one-touchdown uh, line on 10 targets. These are with Marcus Mariota. So you can just imagine, you know, what he can go out there and do with Ryan Tannehill. Now, that is not with, you know, not with another, like, A.J. Brown type of receiver um, alongside him. So I'm wondering if, you know, Corey Davis is a bigger receiver. So do we see... Stefan Gilmore, you know, go or I'm sorry, AJ Brown is a bigger receiver than Corey Davis. So do we see Stefan Gilmore kind of stay with Corey Davis just because that's been basically the Patriots Achilles heel when they faced the the Titans in his career? Or is AJ Brown just that good that they just say, you know what, we're just going to take him out of the game and, and force him? Because th- I just say that, Kev, because I don't, you know, 7,400 still seems Fairly just too cheap for me or fairly too cheap, fairly too expensive for me to have exposure interest in my main builds with A.J. Brown. But if I am trying to get contrarian here um, and thinking, I mean, he he has the ability to take, you know, a 50, 60, 70 yarder to the house. And he does that. And you are like really pissed off at yourself for fading this guy because I I still think he's going to be out there getting targets. But I, I do tend to lean on the Stefan Gilmore being able to kind of shut him out and take him out of the game, which then, you know, at 3,800 Corey Davis, he's one of the guys that I've been sprinkling in as the cheap play to get into my lineups because somebody's got to catch the ball for Tennessee. They're going to be throwing in this game. I have a feeling. And at 3,800, like why the hell not? Am I taking a chance on Corey Davis at three X? He just needs to get you nine points. Uh, 4x is 12 points. So, and if he catches a touchdown, I think you're very well looking at, you know, 15 to 20 points out of a Corey Davis at 3,800. That is just ridiculous. So um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because he's one of my favorite plays too. So I'm trying to play devil's advocate and see if we're overthinking it maybe. No, I don't think so at all. Like I think Corey Davis is a legit good play. I don't think he's going to carry the ownership that he should. Um, Somebody that doesn't really, hasn't really popped all much this year. Um, so I do, I do like Corey Davis. The other one that I, that I forgot to mention 
is David Moore from Seattle. Uh, Malik Turner last week did not play, and that really opened up a lot of opportunity for David Moore. Um, Somebody I actually played on the the showdown slate um, (laughs) a little bit, and he ended up – oh, I just had it up – in terms of routes, all right, he played sixty nine percent of this or sixty seven percent of the snaps. Excuse me, which is well up from what he was doing. You know, really, you have to go all the way back to week nine when he played fifty eight percent of the snaps. But last week he played sixty seven percent of the snaps, ran thirty routes, only targeted was only targeted twice. But in this game, where I feel like they're going to have to throw the ball, like I like David Moore in this matchup. Without if Malik Turner is is indeed out, because right now Malik Turner did not practice today, so it's not looking good for him. So David Moore at 3,400 against a secondary. Again, he's not going to play in the slot. He's going to play on the outside where, where Philadelphia struggles. I really do like him at, at 3,400. Again, probably a 10% ownership type of guy, 10, 15%, kind of a guy you want to sprinkle in there. But it's not going to take him a ton to be able to pay off that price tag. Somebody that can be targeted inside the red zone as well. So I like him. Um, the only other option I guess you could probably maybe talk about, like if you wanted to get like super contrarian, because like right now if Zach Ertz doesn't play, we all we know that they have Greg Ward, and right now Nelson Aguilar doesn't sound like he's going to play. So it sounds like you're going we're going to be looking once again with Robert Davis, and then you also have Deontay Burnett who ended up getting four targets for 48 or four targets, two receptions for 48 yards last week, 30, 3,100. I don't love it. Like I was, look, I was trying to look into, you know, kind of them, his pro athletic profile is fucking horrendous. Like it is really bad. Six foot, 186 pounds. I ran a four, seven forty. Absolutely no speed score. I was looking at a player profile. It's so bad. If for some reason that this guy goes out and kind of gets he played 21% of the snaps, ran 11 routes, targeted four times on those 11 routes, was kind of utilized as a red zone target when he played at USC. I don't know. Like, it's it's super, super thin. It would have to be a complete dart throw of dart throws. But Deontay Moore um, looks like he could end up being kind of, uh, you know, an, another target because J.J. Ortega-Whiteside has done nothing. I don't even think he was targeted last week at all. Uh, no, he was not <laughs> against the Giants. Yep. So, yeah, he was. He wasn't. I mean, he kept. It, it's hilarious. These are these are two of the guys that I had written down uh, that I love. I I really don't care about his athletic profile. Like they are so banged up on on offense that I have to get some exposures to this Burnett guy um, because he's he's just going to be out there. And he did split a role. He did split uh, a role last week with our Sega Whites. I know that granted that's week 17. So we don't know if I don't necessarily know if we can take that into the postseason and really say that that's going to be the case. But I mean, hell, at, at his price with with guys out and, and, and especially Zach Ertz. So Zach Ertz being out and Dallas Goddard being the only guy there um, that really is that quote-unquote threat. I mean, Greg Ward's been decent, but he he definitely hasn't been any type of like consistent threat, um, nor has our Sega Whiteside. So with Zach Ertz being ruled out, I think that it has a more, that play has a little bit more legs to it. David Moore, this dude, he, you said 10%, Kev. I like, I'm already at like 40% of David Moore because his price tag is 3,400 and 
Malik Turner needs to be ruled out. I think I'm getting a little bit too bashful right now. But if Malik Turner, who only has a concussion, so he can definitely suit up and play. But if for some reason he doesn't pass protocol and he's out with Jerron Brown also out, and you're talking about outside wide receivers are the way to attack Philly, like DK Metcalf and David Moore, it's wheels up for for both of them. And he's 3400 compared to the $6,100 price tag. And this is like Russell Wilson that we talked about. I talked about Drew Brees not being married to receivers outside of of Michael Thomas, like Russell Wilson is not married to any one of these guys at all. Like whoever is open, you are getting the ball, be ready. And David Moore has at least had his season under his belt playing with, uh, playing with Russell Wilson. And when uh, injuries were to the wide receiver position with uh, Doug Baldwin in 2018, this dude came in and he had five touchdowns on the 2018 season, had a game of over a hundred yards, had another game with 97 yards in uh, like seven, eight target games. So he's a guy that has been utilized in this offense before when he's needed to step up. And the fact that he's been in this offense before when push comes to shove, I think, He's definitely usable. And if it stays that Malik Turner's out, I think the 30 to 40% threshold of David Moore for me exposure is where I'm going to be at. Now, Malik Turner ruled in. I'm, I'll, I will definitely be dialing that back in. But just on these first look builds and first things that I'm putting together, I don't know how I can ignore a guy that's at this price tag um, that comes in in a role that where he's going to be on a field in the last game uh, of the slate, no mind you, Kev. So I think he's going to be super low owned. Nobody's going to have him, and I'm going to have a rooting interest in this guy um, to be doing some things to help the rest of my lineups, especially if they if they hit and I feel good about him. Um, I'll have them in the flex and uh, and be going from there. So you know, we'll we'll see what ends up coming to fruition. But I I love 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 that you brought up David Moore call. Um, because I think I think he is a good pivot off of guys like, you know, Kuti is going to get some ownership just because of if Will Fuller gets rolled out. I think people will, you know, look at Ted Ginn at 3,600. Corey Davis is going to get some play. Mohamed Sanu is going to get some play. Trigon Swift is going to get some play. Like David Moore is going to be so overlooked. Um, it, it just really makes me feel good about that play. So I'll, I'll have a ton of exposure to him. Um, anything else, Kev, at wide receiver before before we move on? No, like I said, I mean, I, I'm going to have a ton of Michael Thomas, you know, some DeAndre Hopkins, some Julian Edelman, um, some Metcalf, some Cole Beasley, and then you know, make some, you know, and then kind of square up my ownership with Nikhil Harry, Trey Quan, Corey Davis, and then you know, the the David Moore call. Fair enough, Kev. I, I haven't uh, real quick before we move on to tight end. I'm not sure if you brought him up. I, I know I didn't talk about him, but Kenny Stills. We've been talking about Will Fuller possibly being rolled out. I'm not sure if we talked about him at all or enough. But real quickly, he's 4600. Uh, when Will Fuller went out of that game in Tampa, he saw nine targets. Um, really didn't amount to much. But Kenny Stills is a is a big play threat um, and had has been um, over the past couple of years. He's 4600. Um, would you be willing to take some one-off exposure on him and some, you know, maybe not necessarily even game builds just to say, Hey, you know, if Deandre's being shut down, somebody has to get the ball. Kenny stills is 4,600. If he goes out there and, you know, scores a touchdown, gets me, you know, 12, 13, 14 points. I'm feeling pretty good about that to start off the day. What scares me with, with Kenny stills is one, as a couple of things is 
How are they going to utilize them? Because I feel like that then Kiki Kuti would, would step in as the wide receiver three in this offense and, and probably play in the slot um, more often than not, which would push Kenny Stills to the outside. Now, the question I have is, are they going to try to throw the ball deep? Because if you look at, um, and I think it was, um, I think it was Barrett. Uh, I saw either today or yesterday talking about uh, Deshaun Watson. If you look, Deshaun Watson averages 22.1 fantasy points per game when completing two or, two or more deep passes in a game. Across his other 20 games, he averages nearly half that, and it's just 12.4 passing uh, fantasy points per game. That's pretty stark difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and with Alvin really Fuller, stark. who is their, their pass-catching, who is their deep threat, you know, and they really haven't really shown the the consistency to want to go deep with with Kenny Stills. So if they don't use them like that, and the other thing is, is that Denver is really good. They rank actually top three in uh, deep ball cons- uh, completions allowed per game as well. Buffalo, you mean? Yeah, Buffalo. Sorry. So there's a lot to be concerned here uh, with that. So I don't mind Kenny Stills like 4600. I, I could see a path, but like I almost feel like if I was going to play a Texan wide receiver not named DeAndre Hopkins, it probably would be Kiki Kuti, who is substantially cheaper and going to be playing in the slot um, and not going to be seeing Tredavious White and gets the better matchup at 3,300. But that's kind of where I stand. Like I don't mind um, Kenny Stills, but they just haven't really utilized him all that much as a deep threat which is kind of weird because, I mean, he certainly has that in his range of possibilities and in his, in his back because, like, that's what they were doing with him earlier in the year. If you go back and look earlier in the season where – I'm sorry. I, I I didn't know I was talking that loudly. I was just saying, yeah, you're right. I'm like – I pulled up his air yards just to, like, check and see. And so DeAndre Hopkins, he's got – I'm looking at the Houston team. So DeAndre Hopkins leads the team with 1570 air yards and Will Fuller had just over 1,000. And Kenny Stills is down at 590. Yeah, and so, I mean, if you look at his – and you look at his yards per reception, he averaged – you know, if you go back and look, I mean, he averaged, you know, early on 12.3, 19, 22.3, 12, 26.3. And then from then on, outside of the New England game where he had three catches for 60 yards where he had averaged 21.3, it's been 7.3, 6, 4, 11.7, 11.4. They just haven't really utilized him as much as a, as, as a deep threat. Like that, That's where you're going to use Kenny Sills if you think that he can get get open deep. But the problem is is that that this is not a great matchup for that because Buffalo has been so good against defending the deep ball. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, so for me, like I said, like I, I think instead of Kenny Stills, where I think people are going to want to naturally gravitate towards him without Will Fuller. Because if Will Fuller, like I was like, locking in Will Fuller if he was going to play in this matchup. He just makes Deshaun Watson so much better. And if he does not play, one, it's it's a super risky thing anyways because he plays in the first game at 4,900. And if he could at any moment get knocked out of this game with a groin injury. But um, I thought he was at least a decent enough play to have some exposure to because Will Fuller at 4,900 is just way too cheap. But it just doesn't sound like he's going to. And so if he doesn't, I think that kind of changes everything. And unless you believe Kenny Stills can break off a couple deep ones, I'd think I would just much rather, if I wanted to play anybody, it would be Kuti. Yeah. I mean, if Will Fuller, <laughs> it's going to be hard for me because if Will Fuller is suiting up, I'm, I'm definitely going to have exposure to him, which just is sick because you're right. He can 
he can't go out anytime. And I've definitely played a questionable Wolf Fuller going into status and been burned um, so much, but he he's so explosive that it's so hard to ignore um, if he actually does suit up and play. So, you know, it wouldn't feel, you know, we, that's definitely something you just need to be monitoring beat reports leading uh, up to that Saturday uh, afternoon kickoff and, and see how he's, you know, how is he looking on the field pregame? Is he on the field pregame? Is it just, you know, is he just suiting up and back in the locker room and not really doing that much um, pregame workouts or what have you? So I, I'm really hoping he doesn't he doesn't get ruled in because that'll affect some things for me. But um, but yeah, I just wanted to see what your thoughts are on Stills if if he's out if we could trust that. But I hadn't looked at his air yards or anything like that yet. So that really takes away the appeal appeal on him. Um. All right, Kev, let's move on to tight end as I know we're, we're getting into the, the wee hours of this pod. So we'll move it along here. But tight end position, I, I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, I'm not sure what you're seeing, Kev. I don't know how I get away from Dallas Goddard. Um, Seattle against tight ends has just been attackable all, all year long. And uh, I, I'd love Ertz as well if he plays too. Um, it, it's just just a great, great position here or great area to target. Um, third most targets allowed to the tight end position, second most receptions and yards allowed to the tight end position. Um, the, these guys are, are pretty much the, the plays that you want. Jared cook. Uh, he's 4,900. He comes in at third. It's not a great matchup for him on, on paper, but this dude has just found the end zone so many times this year. Um, I was looking at it, a touchdown in what four straight games or something like that, or five, five touchdowns in the last four games. Uh, again, not a good matchup for him, but he could somehow, you know, if he gets two scores or a score, uh, find his way into a, a very usable score on DraftKings um, and pivot. If, if Philly ends up struggling or, you know, Jordan Howard's getting, the, the red zone looks and Goddard is being used, but not catching touchdowns. You, you know, you could probably talk me in into having some Jared cook exposure. I still, if I'm playing Jared cook, it wouldn't be as a one-off. I'd probably want to pair him with a uh, uh, Drew Brees because of my Michael Thomas exposure. But uh, you know, I, I think that's where I'm looking outside of that. Like none of these plays Kev, none of these plays really do anything for me, like at all outside of, you know, talking myself into taking these plays um, because of the quarterback I have. Like, I, I don't want anything to do with Dawson Knox. I don't want anything to do with Fells. I don't want anything to do with Rudolph, with Smith Jr. being there. Johnu Smith, maybe, I guess you could maybe talk me into. It still doesn't feel good. I don't feel good about that. I just don't know how you get away from Goddard or and or Ertz if he's healthy. So talk me off the ledge here and and open up my eyes if you can. Uh, you know, not playing Dallas Goddard is is uh, he's going to be incredibly highly owned, um, especially fifty two hundred. It really does not sound like Zach Ertz is going to. Zach Ertz uh, has not been cleared for contact yet. Now he does have till Sunday, I guess, to get cleared. I just think it would be ridiculous to run him out there. I get it that you know it's a playoff game and everything else, but like I don't know, you're messing with this man's ribs and. Like all the different things that could go wrong there, I just feel like there's a probably better chance that he's not going to play. And I think Goddard, you know, fifty two hundred. 
I like Jared Cook. I think that he's he is in play. Jacob Hollister's in play. And I think Johnny Smith. I think all these guys I, on some level are in play. But the one that I kind of have some uh, some if you're not going to play Dallas Goddard, like this is crazy, but I kind of want to play Joshua Perkins at 2900. You look at his numbers and so if you look at so this is just from last week because we don't have a ton to go off of, but Joshua Perkins last week ran 32 routes last week. I mean, that was uh, top 10 in, uh, last week among all tight ends. He was targeted six times. Um, he received 18% of the targets. He ran 13 routes, um, played 40% in the slot as well, which is also super intriguing. You know, if you, I mean, if you really look at it, Dallas Goddard ran 38 routes. Joshua Perkins ran 32. He's significantly yeah. cheaper. <laughs> and, and he right. says he's six targets. Goddard was targeted seven times. He actually received, uh, he, he was targeted 18.8% uh, to Dallas Goddard's 18.4. Goddard ran 14 routes. Perkins ran 13. Like, I don't know. You know, like, I, I think I, I wouldn't go like super crazy with it, but I think Joshua Perkins is actually a pretty decent pivot off of Dallas Goddard because they have nobody else to throw the ball to. And, um, that's interesting. So, I mean, he is kind of their, their, their other wide receiver that they're using, right? Like that's kind of the way they're using this. And he is, um, a decently athletic tight end. He ran a four, seven, um, 73rd, 73rd percentile. He has a 122.5 burst score, which is 76 percentile. Um, 72nd uh, agility score. Like he's a he's a pretty athletic dude. Um, still young, six foot three, two hundred twenty three pounds. Went undrafted, but a guy that they don't really have any other options right now. And again, drew six targets last week. That's not much of a difference between Dallas Goddard. Uh, I'm not saying I think that I'm like taking a stand that he's going to outscore Dallas Goddard. He was also targeted inside the red zone, had the touchdown last week as well. So I think there's a lot to like here with Joshua, per Joshua Perkins at 2,900. Even if you want to use him in your flex, which you could, because he is on that late um, that late slate and just kind of look at him as a $2,900 wide receiver and, and play him in the flex where, like I said, they're the last game on the slate. So I don't know. Yeah. I like Joshua Perkins. I think Joshua Perkins is going to go super um, overlooked on this slate. Everybody's going to play Goddard. And I think Joshua Perkins, I, I don't think it's as clear cut as what people think it's going to be. And nobody is kind of looking at this. Like everything's kind of lining a little bit here for Joshua Perkins to, uh, to have another big role. Now, again, he really needs to, you know, we need Zach Ertz out for this to really come to fruition. I do. I do really like this as a play and, I, I, again, it's, it, he is not too far off of what I think of Dallas. You know, like I said, you look at everything with between him and Dallas Goddard and it, it's pretty even. Yeah. That that's, that's definitely enticing there, especially with the, the significant price decrease that you get on him. You know, you're thinking about the ways that you're building your teams. And I said, you know, I could see myself if I'm playing Wentz taking a two tight end approach just because of how much 12, personnel the Philadelphia Eagles are running so with that you know with Perkins being utilized there playing him in the flex or even at the tight end position Kevin if you're playing Goddard in the flex in you know maybe pivoting uh to a Jordan Howard depending on how your team's shaping up if you've done that um in that same game and hoping that he gets the red zone look and Perkins is the one that finds the end zone uh, very very intriguing 
uh, play, and that'll definitely, Ertz gets ruled out, he could definitely open up some lineups there uh, for people at, at playing that, and, and the ownership is going to be significantly low. I mean, it, it, there's, I don't think there's any chance, any chance that with Zach Ertz being ruled out, Goddard's not 70-plus percent owned. In in main fields, I, I mean, in single entries, he might be even 80, 85. Like, that's just how significant of a play this dude is going to be. So you're already, you know, it's not even about, you, we talk about, you know, contrarian plays and smart plays. So, like, a contrarian play is playing Burnett because the their situation is, is what it is in Philly. And, you know, receivers, yeah, he's been out there, but you're saying he doesn't have an athletic profile. Well, tight end, you know, if you're getting that much leverage, uh, and we we both like a guy in in basketball uh, DFS who talks about getting leverage on the field with plays um, all the time. So if you're talking about Perkins at 2,900, who's got you know a tenth of the ownership as a guy like Goddard has, that that's definitely appealing. Um, but you're going to want to make sure your other plays have hit too as well going into that game. So you want to leave yourself some opportunities to kind of move that around the Joshua Perkins. That is, if that's who you play, um, if you know, one play didn't hit or anything like that. So I, I love that call. Kev, anything else that you're seeing on tight end before we move on to defense to close it out? No, I think it's pretty straightforward this week. There's just not a ton of other options that you're just felt like you just had to play. So like I said, it's, yeah. it's pretty much Goddard and then, you know, sprinkling in some cook and some Hollister or even some John and then, you know, like I said, the right. Joshua Perkins play. I think, yeah, most of the tight end. I mean, the the only one off tight end position I feel comfortable with this week is is probably Philly, um, and maybe Jared Cook. But other than that, you're you're pairing these tight ends with their respective pass catchers because of what you're expecting um, from their upside to be, and the pass catcher should or the pass the quarterback should be going along with that. Um, let's talk about defense, Kev, as I I find this pretty interesting too. Um, so we got Patriots at the top Patriots, Bill Saints come in at the defenses that are three K and higher, uh, Eagles come in at 2,900 Seahawks at 28. And then you got Texans, Titans, and Vikings to to round down. So defense is a position we talked about paying down for a lot. I know you've talked about it. Derek and, and Maddie from the TQE have been on. They talk about it. But I'm always the one, I feel like, that's on the island and paying up for defenses. And so, like, New England at 34 um, seems a little bit fishy, but – it's New England, and I, I just don't want to forget about what they were doing to begin the season. And this isn't a full uh, slate where we have 11 games, 12 games, 13 games to choose from. And some of these D's just find themselves going against opportunistic teams at the bottom of the barrel. Like these, I feel like the D's are all priced appropriately. And it's only $1,200 to get from the Vikings to, uh, to the Patriots. So I, I do find myself building teams that start with what can I do with the Patriots D and then if I don't like where my skill positions are ending up or if I'm ending up with like two players who are kind of wishy-washy for example like if I have Corey Davis and David Moore on my team I'm like okay what can I do to kind of move one of these guys up to another position and then get down so when I'm doing that I think the next D that I'm looking at um, because of price relevant is the Houston Texans at 2,600. Um, 
they are at home. Uh, they can find them, you know, Josh Allen on the road. He has been in the past and he hasn't done it this year all too much, but in the past he has been prone to, you know, missing a read, throwing an interception, um, what have you. And this Houston Texans team, while they haven't necessarily been the best uh, defense on paper, they have, you know, had some big plays or big scores where they've been able to take a, you know, pick six back to the house, uh, fumble recovery, getting a couple sacks. So uh, it doesn't necessarily stand off of the page all too well, but um, they're only 2,600. So I'll, I'll take a chance with them. And then the, the Philly defense, I feel like at 2,900, and maybe even the Saints to some ex- some extent too. Kirk Cousins, and I know you talked about him, Kev, but he this guy is just – I just don't even know what to expect of him. Like he can't be trusted. He's a fraud. And he's going to play in the Superdome. And the Saints D, they are opportunistic as well. We saw what they could do uh, on the Thanksgiving uh, slate. They they were going bananas um, and not, not too many people had them. Uh, putting up, yeah, 16 points against Atlanta. They're getting those sacks at the end. Um, they are just, they just pounce on opportunities. So uh, if Kirk Cousins is out there having a bad game, I think you could talk me into some Saints D as well. Plus they play on Sunday. I definitely like having a later defense. And then Philly as well, they play on Sunday. Um, they're 2,900 Seattle on the road uh, when these two teams met off before in week 12 they didn't really you know they didn't allow all too much they actually got six sacks on russell wilson which i found shocking got an interception too uh so i think that's where i'm at with defense where are you kev for this week or this weekend excuse me so for me i think it's either it's probably saints at 3k and then i i I have some interest in playing the titans at 2400 this New England offense, like we've talked about, has just been so bad. And I think there's uh, a number of ways, whether it's getting to the quarterback and putting pressure on Brady or, you know, a turnover pick six. So $2,400, I don't hate it with the Titans. Um, but most, I'll pretty much be pretty much with Saints. And I do like um, having some Bill exp- Bills, ex- or not, excuse me, not Bills, Texans exposure. Um, it, it should be mentioned that. Quarterbacks who play in the playoffs for the first time, and I believe this is Josh. Yeah, Josh Allen's first year playing in the in the playoffs, tend to struggle, and so that is something hmm. to be said with that with, with with this slate. And so you know, going with a, a home team with the Texans, getting JJ Watt back, you know, they still have Whitney Merciless and some of these other their other their, their other pass rushers. It sounds like JJ Watt's going to be back. They're probably going to use them probably solely as a pass rusher. And I think this solidifies his defense a little bit. So at 2,600 against a quarterback who's never played in the playoffs and a quarterback that is certainly prone to turn the, can turn the ball over. So I, I do like the Texans at 2,600, um, you know, being the third cheapest defense. And then, like I said, the Saints at 3K. And then the same thing can be kind of said with the Patriots, you know, I don't love it, but I think 3,400 is just too cheap for them. And, you know, we know that they are a very opportunistic defense and one that can rack up a ton of points really quickly. No, definitely, definitely agree with that, Kev. Um, definitely. And that's crazy. I, I'm not even thinking about it being Josh Allen's first playoff game. So, uh, you know, definitely want to temper expectations from that first game. But I do think, you know, people, um, it's hard for people to avoid having exposure to the first game. Um, which is why it's always fun to play in those like Thursday through Sunday contests in the regular season, because, 
if you only, you know, take one play out of that game that you think is going to hit or like taking the defense, if you think it's going to hit and not taking anything else, it's just so hard for people to like avoid using people in that first game because they have, they, they have the fear of missing out. They have FOMO. So, uh, you know, definitely will be interesting to see what the Texans D uh, percentage wise comes in at, but uh, Kev, any, Anything else you have for this slate before we put a bow on it and build this uh, Millie Maker team for the four game slate? No, like I said, just remember to to always, you know, especially at the end of Saturday night, if you're playing the full, full four game slate, to go back and kind of readjust things, kind of go through your, all your lineups, depending on how many you play, and see if there's any late swap stuff that you may want to. If you have a lineup where maybe you played. Uh, a little bit heavy on, on a certain player who didn't really pan out. Now you need to kind of unbury that lineup, you know, going and getting a little bit different, a little bit crazy, um, taking a look at some spots where people that you can pivot and stuff like that. Again, that just it doesn't mean you go into your lineup, every single one of your lineups, and just completely wreck them. It tinker with them, but just be smart about it and, you know, kind of check back in on, on Sunday and kind of reevaluate things, kind of how things planned out. I'm definitely going to be playing some of the Saturday-only excuse me, in the Sunday yep. only, they have some pretty good contests in there as well, where you can kind of get a little bit more contrarian as well, where, for example, like the Sunday slate, instead of targeting where I feel like that that Saints and Vikings game is going to be the absolute chalk, going a little bit heavier um, on the, the, the second game with the Eagles and, and Seahawks, um, like we've kind of talked about, and going with some different plays or kind of switching things up a little bit instead of playing Dallas Goddard, whoever he's going to want to play, play Jared Cook and, you know, Josh Perkins or, or whatever, and just kind of get a little bit different. So, uh, but like I said, uh, I think late swap and, you know, kind of doing that is going to be the biggest key to really getting a win on DFS in terms of the playoffs. Yeah, definitely. And, and Kev, you hit it right on the head. If you, if you feel yourself, you're like needing to get that contrarian exposure, needing to get kind of, you know, I, I can't just, position myself on these single entries or a couple of plays, I need to have multiple scenarios, then definitely, you know, just try your hand at the the Saturday only or the Sunday only slates, because, you know, a play like Josh Perkins that Kev's talking about on Sunday is going to be, you know, very, he's going to be higher owned than on the full game slate, but he's still going to be low enough owned to where that play is going to win you, you know, a lot of money if it hits, um, and, and you can get exposure to just that on the Sunday if you don't feel comfortable playing that on that for a gamer. Um, so in, in other, in, you know, other plays that we talked about as well, too. So, you know, definitely don't shy away from getting into, you know, it's playoffs. We only got limited number of slates left for the football season. So get as much exposure DJs as you can right now, because it, it is on a ticking clock before it all goes away. Um, but before we sign off for the wild card slate here at the DJ nation pod, we are going to build as tradition, our Millie maker lineup in Kev it's wild card weekend. So this Millie maker is going to be the wild card $25 entry. Um, looks like there's about 105,000 entrants just over. Um, and so we are going to build this lineup right now. Kev, you go ahead and start it off and uh, let it, let us know kind of what our team is shaping up to, to be and look like. Well, let's just go ahead and lock in Michael Thomas. Yeah, that's, that's pretty easy there. Uh, <laughs> 9,300 don't matter. We're playing them. Uh, I, I like, uh, John Brown a lot. So I, I definitely want to get exposure to him and we'll play him at 6K. All right. I want to play, let's play Russ at 6,800. All right. So let's make this, well, I'm going to play James White. 
So we're going to have to get a little bit different, but I want to play Alvin Kamara at 7,400. Oh, Alvin Kamara at 7,400. Okay, so our team is Russell Wilson, James White, Kamara, Michael Thomas, and John Brown. 3,700 left. So I think I I know how we can do it, but go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, I'm just going to go ahead and play the Texans D um, because we're going to need So I'm going to put my nuts on the table here, and I'm going to play Josh Perkins at the tight end position. Calf and more. Um, I mean, we need to play somebody with him. If I play more, is there anybody that... 5,900. I think it's too thin playing Russ with David Moore. I mean, I love David Moore, as you mentioned, but I think that's too thin. So let's drop from Kamara to... Man, I don't want to play two Bills. If I was going to say I'll play Singletary, but that's just too... Th- I don't really... I'm not playing two Bills. Well, we could... You know what we could do is play Homer and Metcalf. I'm not trying to talk you out of your place here. So <laughs> my thought was, though, is if we played Metcalf and Homer and Perkins, but if we dropped and we play, Well, if I played Corey Davis at 3,800, that would leave 1,500. There's enough, if we wanted, that we could play Hopkins... Instead of John Brown. Now, we don't have to do it. That's probably a little bit more contrarian. No, there's not enough. So that's what we'd have to do. Or we could jump up in defense. We could leave the 1500 there to if we need to do any swaps or anything else. I think that maybe, or maybe it is smarter just to keep it the way that we want for now. And then we could always make some changes oh, with that. Because, so who, so yeah, I mean, you play, who was the guy we just talked about at 5300? Uh, oh, you said Corey Davis. So you play Corey Davis in the flex. You say there's 50. That's not enough to switch Perkins to a guy like Goddard, but it would leave you to play Hollister. We still couldn't do that. I was going to say we play Howard. I was going to see if there was any type of pivot to where we could go from Perkins to Goddard. We'd be stuck like moving up. Like there's nobody on that second slate that we'd feel good with. We'd have to play like a, a Rex Burkhead instead of a James White or something like that, which that could be contrarian, I guess. So we would only be so if you drop down from Howard to Homer to Howard, and you dropped and you went up to Goddard, you'd be four hundred dollars short. So essentially, you'd have to drop down from DK Metcalf and go. But- but then you're still, wait, then you're still too thin because you you would open yourself up. So if you then if you played, David you, you, Moore, would, you would basically have to drop from Wilson to Wentz would would be that. But then we're just it's just Wentz and Perkins. No, no. So then what you could do, okay, because then you wouldn't want to play him. So you'd have to play because then you're, you're two hundred dollars short from. <laughs> then you're two hundred dollars short. To get to DK Metcalf, you know, to get somebody else of value. So we're just just barely off, I guess. I don't know. I think there's a lot of different ways you can kind of play around with this, I guess. All right. Where are we at? So we can lock this in. Um, yeah, I like, well, no, so I guess if we leave 1500 on the table, Kev, the play would be if, if these guys hit, which I'm actually going to move Corey Davis um, out of the flex for DK Metcalf. But with the 1500 on the table, you could get up to Goddard, drop down to Wentz, still have DK Metcalf, and then you, you know, you play Howard with Sanders rolled out that instead of Homer and, and oh, Wilson. No, so here's what we do. What am I thinking? Okay. So, so basically, this is what you, so this is what you could do. Going into Sunday, basically, what this does is, is allows you to. So if you, if, if you played that lineup and you left the $1,500 on the table, 
And so we, mm-hmm. we, we kept Russ, we kept Homer, White, Michael Thomas, John Brown, Corey Davis, and Perkins with Texans. It leaves you $7,600 is what you'd end up having left in the flex if you wanted to. So you'd basically be locked out of James White, um, John Brown, and then Corey Davis, right? So if you had to, if you had to make, if you had to make switches, you could get all the way up to Alvin Kamara if you if you wanted to on Sunday, um, in the flex. You could you could still play Tyler Lockett at seventy two hundred. You could play DK Metcalf and leave the fifteen hundred dollars on the table, which is contrarian because you're leaving a pretty decent amount of money on the table. But it allows you kind of to do whatever you wanted. Um, you could even play Goddard, like I said. Um, you'd only have fifty three hundred, but again. You know, you could play David Moore. It's not the best scenario of, of a way I would want to do it, but there's a lot of different things that you could do. Or you could lock in Perkins and and Goddard if you wanted to. But I just think there's a lot of different ways you could go. So I guess we could just leave it at that for now and then leave the $1,500 on the table and kind of check back and see where, where we're at with this. Yeah, we'll, 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 play it, uh, we'll play it by ear and see where we're at. This is definitely going to be one where we uh, definitely want to monitor uh, what we're – what our build is going to be. But for right now, um, our team consists of Russell Wilson, James White, Travis Homer, uh, Michael Thomas, John Brown, Corey Davis, Joshua Perkins, DK Metcalf, and the Texans D with 1,500 left on the table. I don't think we've ever made a build here for the DJ Nation that has so much left to it, but it is wildcard weekend, and we definitely want to see how things hit, and especially, you know, we'll be – We'll kind of know where things stand with us with having uh, John Brown and the Texans D going in that first game. Um, so there could definitely be big pivot moves to be made. But if both of those hit, then other pivot moves are going to need to be made just to make sure we have uh, the right team built around it. So if you guys want to know what we end up doing with that lineup, then all you guys have to do is real simple. You just got to DM the DJ nation pod on Twitter or Kevin at fantasy Rat 13 to get into our free Slack chat guys. This Slack chat has still been going strong regular season, full 17 weeks. We had guys hitting GPPs, whether it be on early only slates, full game slates, showdown slates. It's been a lot of fun and we're definitely looking forward to keeping that traction going in the Slack chat here for the playoffs here, four weeks of, well, five with Pro Bowl, but four weeks of postseason fun is coming at you. And like we said, it's the DGen Nation. We're DGens and we can't stay away from it. So we definitely want you guys in there on the Slack chat with us. And, you know, guys, we, we also appreciate the love you've been showing us by giving us your ratings, your reviews, the comments, the retweets, all the exposure um, that you've been uh, giving the DJ Nation pod and all the love here through the 2019 and well into the 2020 uh, year. It's our first part of the year. So keep on doing that, guys. Uh, rate, subscribe, download, review, uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Um, we appreciate all the traction that we've been getting for sure. It's, uh, it's all love here at the DJ Nation. And uh, we continue, we're going to continue to keep that going strong here in 2020. So, Kev, any final words for the people before we tie it up? Nope. Let's just, uh, you know, check back for news. There's going to be a lot more stuff to kind of monitor to kind of see how things shake out, what players are in, what players are out. But um, I think this should be a fun um, wild card opening opening weekend. And uh, it's going to be even more uh, lit next week to get the entire crew back together with Derek and Maddie and Ryan That's and right. me. Uh, the last time we did it, it was a lot of fun, and um, we might have gotten into a little bit too many debates and argued a little bit too much, but uh, 
it is what it is, but it should be a lot of fun. Next week, you know, we'll have the Ravens and the, the Packers and the Chiefs. Uh, I think much better uh, offenses to choose from where things are going to be a little bit more uh, interesting to see uh, how we build. So I'm looking forward to next week. I really appreciate everybody hanging out this year, rating and reviewing and listening and being in Slack and everything else. And because 2020 is going to be even better. And I'm looking forward to it. So spike some, uh, some, some wins and uh, let's keep it rolling. Kevin couldn't say it any better myself. Guys, check us back next week for the divisional round. But until then, best of luck to your lineups in wildcard weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Like we said, Slack chat, it's free. Get in there if you want to hear the traction and how we're how we are taking what this first slick pod was into what our actual lineups are gonna be once the lineups lock on Saturday. Uh until then. For Kevin Steele at FantasyRap13 is where you can find him on Twitter. I'm Ryan Williams signing off. Ryan Alexander underscore W. It's the DGen Nation podcast, episode 74 in the books. We'll catch you guys at the top of the leaderboards. Until then, peace. Think you can tell me what to do? Know who you're talking to? What you better get used to the way the war I see what you have.